Let's spend some time in prayer together. Lord, I'm so grateful, so overwhelmed with appreciation that we live in a country where we can worship you freely. So grateful for the sacrifice of the men and women and their families that they have given so much so that we can have the freedoms that we have. Lord, I'm so grateful for you working in and through them. Lord, think about all these boxes that are going to go out all around the world and people's lives and eternities are going to be changed. Lord, I pray that you help us to gather many, many boxes together to be able to help and impact people around the world. Lord, I pray as we open your very word this morning that you speak directly to us. What an amazing gift you've given us to give us what your will is, how we're supposed to follow you, the story about what you've done for us. Lord, thank you so much for the story beginning to end. Lord, I'm so grateful that it doesn't return void. Help me to get out of the way so you can preach to your people and preach to me. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through question by question, the Westminster Shorter uh, Catechism questions. And so here's this week's questions. Question number 10. How did God create man? The answer is God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen right now. And if you're new here, we're so glad that you're here. And what we like to do each and every week is proclaim what our purpose is because we're not a country club. We like to have fun together, but we have a purpose here as a church, and this is our purpose if you say it with me. It's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel in biblical community. And we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, and we're getting so close to the end. We're in chapter 14 right now, and it's so cool to see how God has worked through this. The year of hope here at Good News, and we chose the book of Mark because we believe that it's a great gospel of hope for all people. The Wycliffe uh, Bible translators are about 1,600 dialects away from having all the languages of the earth have a version of the Bible for them. Now, 1,600 seems like it's a lot, but they've done over uh, 6,900 different languages, and they anticipate by the year 2025, every dialect will have scripture in their language. They're working really hard, and it's really cool the work that they do. The number one book that they do, the first book that they translate is the Book of Mark. And they do that because they believe it's a gospel story of hope for all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of tribes, all kinds of classes. And it was written in an ancient version of the world that we live in. It was written to cosmopolitan uh, Rome, the believers living in cosmopolitan Rome, where they had lots of different luxuries, but they also uh, faced many different persecutions. It's much like the world that we live in today. And so it's so great to be able to go through the Gospel of Mark uh, with you. If this is your first time here, the author of, of Mark is John Mark. It was written about uh, 60 AD, and John Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And uh, John Mark had a mother named Mary, and Mary was a pretty wealthy woman who owned a pretty big house in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 12, where they gather together, the believers gather together to pray for Peter. We know it's a large house because there were lots of people there praying for him. As he's going on this missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, when they get to the city of Perga, he decides to, to go home to his mama. 
We don't know exactly why, but he leaves the missionary journey, and this upsets Paul to the core. He calls John Mark uh, a quitter, that he gets really upset, and actually when John Mark tries to go on another missionary journey with them, Paul refuses to let him go. See, it's really interesting, as we look at Mark chapter 14, we see the point for this week that Jesus divides people. And maybe you don't think that's terribly inspirational, or maybe you didn't wake up this morning thinking, great, I want to hear a story about Jesus dividing people. But as you'll see, it will be a message of inspiration. It will be a message of hope, because our action step is to choose Jesus. I mean, there's all kinds of things in our world that divide people, right? I mean, growing up in Boston, the number one thing that divided people was Yankees and Red Sox, right? Yankees, Red Sox. And this week, I got the honor and the privilege of putting a Red Sox license plate on Joe DeLeo's uh, car. Now, Joe DeLeo is the owner of DeLeo's Deli, the best sandwiches on the planet. I go there way too much. But we, him and I had a bet. Now, kids, don't gamble, but this was a fun bet. Uh, we, we bet that the Red Sox-Yankees series, the winner got to put the opposite team's license plate on their car for the rest of the year. So you'll see, Joe DeLeo, who's a huge Yankees fan, it's the only thing that's wrong with DeLeo's Deli, is you have to put up with his Yankee fan, fandom, has the Red Sox plate on. I love it, right? Amazing. So you see, Yankees, Red Sox, dividing people. We just went through an election, right? Democrats, Republicans, dividing people, right? We're still going through that. If you go on social media on election night, wow, you'll see all kinds of division. I think probably the biggest division that I see, though, is the ongoing debate, which one's better, Moe's or Chipotle, right? I mean, we just can't decide. How many of you out there are Moe's people? Yeah. How about Chipotle people? How about people like me, like, it's Mexican food, who cares? Jesus' earthly ministry, the, the time when Jesus would proclaim his kingdom, his victory over Satan on the cross, and victorious through his resurrection. And no longer would sin help, help hold uh, men captive, that they would be free from their sin if they believe in Jesus Christ. But this is also the time where his disciples went through so much turmoil. As they see him agonizing in the garden, uh, of Gethsemane agonizing about the death that he's about to experience. They see him on the cross, and instead of running towards him, they run away from him because they're scared, because they're full of fear. And we can easily fall into fear and anxiety in our world, right? When all we have to do is look around, and yet another mass shooting has happened in California. And we see our, our world divided. We see our country divided. We can have fear. We can all uh, fall into that fear. And that's why it's so good that we gather together and we're reminded of God's goodness each and every week. When we gather in church together, when we gather in small groups together, we open his very word. We get to see that, yes, Jesus divides people. We have an opportunity to choose Jesus. And so we're going to look right now at Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I really encourage you, if you don't typically bring your Bibles, to bring your Bibles. To open up God's Word. To have it in your hand. 
Uh, please do that. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles out at our answer center. You can grab one of those as our gift to you. If you don't have your Bible this morning, that's okay. You can look up on the screen as I read through this passage, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1 through verse 11. Now the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the feast, they said, or people will riot. They riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you have them anytime you want. But you not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my, for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, this is John Mark being an artist of telling two stories about how Jesus divides here. A story really of hate and a story really of love. And they're not uh, emotions that are very far apart from each other, are they? I mean, we think of love and hate as being opposite, but they're actually really close together. We see it in our relationships with others, in our marriages. We see that love and hate can be very, very close together. And uh, we see those two stories being weaved together here in these verses that I just read. If there were calendars that were hanging in Jewish homes in the first century, at least one date would be circled over and over and over and written, marked in Hebrew to remember, and that was Passover. That was a day, uh, one day celebration followed by seven days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they took their worship uh, of that feast so seriously that they would sweep out their entire house, every speck of dust out, to make sure there wasn't any yeast at all in their home. They wanted to honor God uh, completely. And during this time, the population of Jerusalem would swell to ten times the normal population. If you've ever been to any event where the population swells, you know that crazy things can happen at those events. That, it happened to me uh, when I went home to my small town of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, many years ago uh, during my freshman year of college. There was, uh, the population had swelled uh, from about, from about uh, 20,000 people to over 80,000 people. And I was downtown Portsmouth, and they have this celebration every year, and I was just celebrating with my friends. When I saw this beast of a man, this guy right here, his name's Jeff Foy. He's about 6'7", 325 pounds. And I'm just celebrating with my friends at the time. I was really scrawny, about 140 pounds, just having fun with my friends. And this paw grabs me on my shoulder and says, hey. And I turn around and look at his chest and I look up. And he said, I saw you looking at my girlfriend. You have a problem? And I just started shaking. No, no, no sir. I didn't look. I, I promise. I promise. What had happened was my stepdad was friends with him. I didn't know. And he put him up to it. See, when crowds gather together, 
crazy things can happen, and that's what happened here at the Passover celebration. This was supposed to be a celebration of Israel's release from bondage in Egypt. And it was that celebration, but the Sanhedrin had something else in mind. They wanted to strike uh, fear into the followers. They wanted to get Jesus. They wanted to uh, help. They wanted to do whatever it took to take him out. See, as you remember, as we go through Mark, they've tried to trap him over and over and over, haven't they? They've tried to question him. They've tried to corner him. And always Jesus had the right answer. So they've given up on that plan. Now they're turning to something much more sinister. They're looking to take him out. They're looking to murder him. As we break down the scripture, verse by verse, you'll see that Jesus divides people. We have an opportunity to choose Jesus. Now the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. This section happens two days before the Passover, which always occurred on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish lunar calendar. And they were looking for a way to take out Jesus privately because they didn't want his people to riot. They didn't want the cause of the scene. They wanted to be able to take him out quietly so that then they could pretend like they were boarding with the people that Jesus had been taking out. They came up with, with a plan to try to do it, and they didn't want to do it in front of the crowds of all the people that were there. Verse 3 says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table at the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. If you look in, uh, in, in uh, Matthew's version of the story, he also, she also pours it on his, on his feet. So you see, Jesus didn't fear death, but he also uh, didn't have a death wish either. In the times that were leading up to the Passover, he was either preaching in front of large crowds, thousands of people, or he would escape back to Bethany, a small town right near Jerusalem. And here he was doing what he would typically do is eat. And this night, there was probably a time where he got invited, probably by Lazarus and Martha, to, to go to a man's house. Now this man, what a bad nickname he has. The man's name is Simon the Leper. Imagine being invited over to Fred, the person with the flu's house, for <laughs> dinner. You probably don't want to do that. So this person probably didn't actually have leprosy. He probably was uh, cured of, of leprosy. And because if he actually had leprosy, there's no way they would have ever gone over to the house for dinner. And they're reclining, eating. I mean, isn't that awesome? I want to try that tonight. You sit on the ground, reclining, eating with your left uh, arm back and your, and your feet facing backward to be able to eat the food on a low table. That was the custom of the way that they ate during the time. And there they are eating. And during the meal, this woman approaches Jesus with an alabaster jar full of nard. Now, this is only 0.25 ounces of nard. She had 12 ounces of nard. So you can just imagine uh, how much perfume that was. If you want to know what nard smells like, uh, we have a table out in the lobby right near the cafe where we have this little bottle. You can smell it. Let the Bible come to life a little bit more in your life. It's, it's uh, very strong smelling stuff, uh, this nard is. And she comes to him uh, with unreserved worship. I love this. 
that this part of the story about Jesus dividing people, she chooses Jesus. I mean, she comes and worships him in a way where she does not care. She's not inhibited by anything. Because you can imagine 12 ounces of this perfume is going to smell very, very strong. So it's going to cause a scene, what's going on here. But she doesn't care because she wants to worship Jesus with everything that she has. This worship cost something to her. It was really expensive. Oftentimes for us, worship doesn't cost anything. We, we don't have to put our lives on the line. We just get into our air-conditioned cars and come here and sit in our nice seats here and, and, and go home. And even if we're worshiping God on our, in our private lives, it really often doesn't cost us anything. But for her, it costs so much. She brought a very expensive jar of nard. It would have been imported from the Himalaya mountain region. It would have been unbelievably expensive. Remember, there was no Amazon two-day shipping then. So it would have cost so much uh, for her to get that. But she wanted to worship God without any hindrance at all. She wanted to worship Jesus. She chose Jesus. And this scene that was going on here, not everyone was happy about. See, Jesus divides people we're called to choose to choose Jesus. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. If you look at that phrase in the original Greek, they rebuked her harshly. It means something like that they were snorting and braying like horses. That's what it was like. So you have these two stories here. One who's pouring out perfume over Jesus, pouring out the star in an act of unreserved worship. And then you have the other reaction. People praying and snorting. See, Jesus divides. But she chose Jesus, and we should choose Jesus. And Jesus not only encouraged what she did, he actually elevated what she did and gave it a theological purpose of what she did. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always, uh, you always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. I love that. That we're called to believers to do what we can to worship Jesus. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, uh, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that truly is happening, right? I mean, we're doing it right now. The gospel is being told, and that story of her is being told also. What Jesus is saying here is that she is actually preparing my body for burial. That it was a custom during that time that when bodies were prepared for burial, they would have a guard poured over their body to keep some of the stench of the body away. And now Jesus is being prepared for his burial. And the people there still didn't fully understand that he was going to die on the cross, be raised from the dead for, for our sins. And you can just imagine the scene there where Jesus is just dripping with this nard, 12 ounces. He would have smelled like crazy nard uh, because it was dripping off his beard and over his tunic. His undergarments would have had it on him. It was all over him. And he would have had that on him for the next 48 hours as he's going to do all the different things that he does. As he's uh, in Herod's court, as he's standing before Pilate, as his garments are being cast for lots, they would have been filled with that smell 
of, of NARS. We see what the woman did was a beautiful thing because she chose Jesus with, with worship that was uninhibited. See, Jesus divides. See, there are some people like Judas who decided that this was the final straw, that he was not going to choose Jesus, that he was going to go the opposite way. When then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We don't know exactly what was happening in Judas' mind here. Maybe it was because that he was rebuked by Jesus publicly in this situation. Maybe he felt embarrassed. Maybe that he, he was sick and tired of hearing about him being buried and raised from the dead. Or maybe as the money collector, he truly thought, man, we could have used that money. I doubt he was really uh, thinking about caring for the poor. But this was the moment where he snapped. And he went to the religious leaders. And this delighted them because now they had someone on the inside. Now they knew that they could take Jesus out because they had one of his closest followers with them. You see, Jesus divides that we can either choose to not go the, the way of Jesus or we can choose to go with him. If you grew up in Alabama, you're born there with a choice. You cannot stay neutral with this. You either have to be an Alabama fan or you have to be an Auburn fan. You cannot be neutral with Jesus. You can't be neutral either because if you're if you're neutral with Jesus, that means that you're not choosing him. So we have a choice. Which way are you going to choose? In Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the choice that's at hand. And it says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so what are you going to choose? I was, earlier this year, I was on a, a game show and I had this game show match game, I had a choice to go with my own choices or to go with the celebrity's choices. And I'd never been in a situation like that before, so I didn't know what to choose or what to do. But in this case, whether you're considering to choose uh, Jesus' way or the way of the world, to me, it's a very, very simple choice. Because if you choose to go away from Jesus, what you're choosing is you don't know really where to find true hope and where to find true joy. You don't know where to find true, true peace. And you have no assurance of what's going to happen to you after you die. You see, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to have to answer for all of the things that you've done against God. And at least in my case, it's many, 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 many things. And if I were to stand before God without knowing Jesus, then he would be forced to punish me. Because I've done thousands of things against what his word says. Thousands of things that I've done disobey him. So I don't want you to choose that. I want you to choose Jesus. Because when you choose Jesus, you're choosing that he came on this earth and lived the perfect life, a life you could never imagine living. A life that was perfect. And then he went to the cross and he took all of our sins, past, present, and future. For some of you, that's just unimaginable. It's supposed to be that way because it's so powerful what he did. 
to take all of our sin, past, present, and future, on him. And then he rose victorious from the dead. They thought they had him trapped. They thought they had him dead. They thought they had him down. But by the power of the Spirit, he rose from the dead so that we could have victory if we believe in him. Choose Jesus. You can do it right in your seat. It doesn't matter the words that you say to him, but just admit that you're a sinner and believe in him and commit your life to Jesus. If you need help with that, come and see one of the prayer team members. Come and see me after the service or one of our elders. We love to help you to choose Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And so if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, help him to, to show you the way. If there's something that you're trying to decide in your life, you don't know what to do, you know what step to take, open God's word. Be around God's people. Be in small group community together. So you can experience the power of that community together. So that you can follow the way of Jesus. Have Jesus be the truth in your life. We have his very word. I mean, isn't that cool? Jesus told us exactly how he wants us to live. It's right here in his word. We should open it up. That we should follow his truth. Get to know him better. Get to know what he wants for us better. Then we choose Jesus as the life. That as we're following after him, we're not just believers on Sunday morning, but we're believers in all of our life. That when we mess up, we ask for forgiveness quickly. When, when, we, when we fall short, we come to God and ask for forgiveness from him. We fall in his grace and his mercy and his love as our way of life. And so in closing, as a church, as Good News Church, what would it look like for us to really choose Jesus? I think it comes down to three great loves. One, when we choose Jesus, that we would love him. That we would be willing to sacrifice for him. We want to use our gifts for his glory. Do you know that each and every week there are hundreds of kids here on this campus that hear about Jesus? You know, also each and every week, Lisa, our kids director, has to call people, to find people, to fill in, to try to get these holes filled each and every week. She has to do that. And I think that's crazy. Because we have tons of people that love Jesus, and we have a next generation that's full of kids. She shouldn't have to each and every week do that. So if you're willing to step up, you're willing to serve in the next generation to hear about Jesus, mark that on your card. Because I want our kids' ministry to be full of people that are so excited, that love Jesus. And I know some of you serve, and I'm so grateful for that. But we need other people to step up and say, I love Jesus. And I want the next generation to know about him. That's just one example. And it's not about the works that we do because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. But when we, when we love Jesus, we can't help but be moved to action. And then to love one another. One of the greatest privileges of being a pastor is I get to hear stories of people caring about each other week in and week out. It's so cool to hear about people that are uh, maybe struggling through something, maybe they have an injury or an illness, and you guys go and fill up the take them a meal calendar, and then it is flooded with meals. And it, I know many of you experience the love of loving one another. We can do that even more. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. Each and every day as, the, as this world goes by, we need to love each other. And then finally, if we choose Jesus, we're going to want to love the lost. And it starts right here. There are some people here this morning that are brand new. This is their first time here at church. And their experience has either been a welcoming experience 
where they get to see people that, that love them and welcome them, or they're going to go home and say, you know what, everyone there seemed to like each other, but they just ignored me. So why don't you practice after the service for five minutes still, running to the people that you normally run to, all the people that you like, and the people that you want to hug, the people that you want to see. Look for a face that you don't know. And just say, welcome. Get to know them a little bit. The people that you like, your friends, they'll still be there. No way. Don't worry. We want to be a welcoming place that loves lost people, that loves people that are seeking. Over 200,000 people in our community don't have a church home. We need to love them well. You know, almost every week we get to celebrate these life rings. And it's so such a privilege to me to know that over 80% of these life rings are people here that are still uh, connected to this church in some way, whether it be kids or youth or adults. And this week we celebrated three more people that came to faith in God. God, thank you so much for the power of the gospel. It's so great to see people come to know you. It's so great to see uh, people be transformed by the power of your spirit. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to see that, continue to see people reached and transformed. We know that can only happen through the power of the gospel. So I pray this week as we're choosing you, that we would apply uh, what we've learned in, in, uh, from your word to our lives. Lord, I'm so grateful that even if we didn't apply it at all, you would still love us. Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.